It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to the world that is to come. From the city of destruction to the celestial city. I can't think of a topic more vital, more important. We need to consider it carefully. Jesus said this very interesting thing in the book of Matthew. It's a startling statement, but hear it from the word of the Lord. Matthew, the 10th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus did not come to bring shalom, peace, provision to this world. He came to bring a sword, a sword that divides and separates between righteousness and wickedness. Now, as we look at this issue, it becomes very painful. I want to share with you the first part of our story, and then I'll explain what I mean. We're reading about Christiana and Mercy and the children with great heart, their guide, after leaving the valley of the shadow of death, and they have escaped this giant by the name of Maul, or I like to call him Giant Grim, because he makes everything very grim, very dark, very tight, very tense. There's no rest when Mr. Grim is about. Let me read it. Now I saw that they went to a scenic view, which was a little way off and was built up for pilgrims. It was the place where Christian had first sighted faithful his brother. They all sat down there and, and rested and rejoiced because they had gotten away from Maul, the giant, who was so dangerous. And as they sat there and ate, Christiana asked the guide if he had been hurt in the battle with the giant. Then Mr. Greatheart said, No, 
except a little on my flesh. Yet that will also be for my for my glory. It's proof that I love my master and that I love you. But weren't you afraid, good sir, when you saw him come out with his club? asked Christiana. It's my duty, he said, to distrust my own ability so I might rely on him who is stronger than all. But what did you think when he knocked you down to the ground at his first blow, inquired Christiana? Why, I thought about how my master himself was likewise assaulted, he said. Yet he was one who became the conqueror. I want to stop just a moment there and address this issue. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel, and I thank you for joining me today as we talk about this journey, a very serious journey. There's no room for or casualness, or lightness in this conversation. I'm not here to educate you. I'm not here to give you information. I'm here to call you on the journey to be faithful. I'm here to call sinners to leave the city of destruction or the city of stupidity and to make their way quickly on this journey toward the celestial city. I've been thinking a lot about this journey. And I recognize that there is a snare that catches many who try to make this this journey. The snare that I see is set for a man or a woman who becomes convicted of their sin. Now, many of you have never seen this snare because you've not ever been convicted of your sin, but there is something of the Spirit of God that is calling you to listen to this broadcast. And so I trust that as you continue to listen to this broadcast, there will be a conviction of sin that will come upon your heart. And so this is for all of you. The conviction of sin begins to grow in the heart of a man or a woman, and they begin to to feel remorse. They loathe themselves. They cry out to the Lord, Woe is me! Woe is me! I'm unclean! I'm a man or woman, a boy or girl of unclean lips, leprous lips. I recognize I'm filled with darkness and despair, wickedness. Now that person begins to repent and confess the sin before God. And a strange thing often happens. I've seen this now over and over at the National Prayer Chapel. A man or woman, a family, will come to the National Prayer Chapel. And they'll be very excited about what they're hearing, and they'll be They'll be excited about the fellowship that they're having with other people there. But as the conviction of sin grows in their heart, they come to a place where they must make a decision. Are they going to save their lives? 
for several men. It has meant coming to the National Prayer Chapel, beginning to face their sin, beginning to face their lost years as they have perhaps been religious but have not really followed Jesus. And then suddenly they say, you know what? I need to leave the National Prayer Chapel because I have to go out and do what God has called me to do. I'm supposed to be the man of the hour. I'm supposed to be a preacher. I'm supposed to be somebody. So I'd better go out and get started doing this. And off they go, and they lose their way, and the Spirit of God departs from them. Or a person comes, and and they're earnest. They want to follow Jesus, but then the conviction of the Holy Spirit begins to fall upon their heart. And now there's only one way to get rid of that conviction. You either repent and finish it all the way to the bottom, or you say, you know what, this is too hard, and obviously I'm not going to make it, so I'm out of here. And they disappear. They don't come through jumping and shouting and praising God because they quickly go back and find their life. One of the favorite snares that Satan will set is that as a Christian begins to feel, or as a new person coming to Christ begins to feel the the moving of the Holy Spirit and the conviction that begins to come upon them regarding their sin, they begin to feel sorry for themselves. And they say, I can never succeed. I can never break out. I can, this is impossible. I might as well go back to my sin and enjoy it. I don't have any power to get the victory in this. Let me read a passage of Scripture again in Matthew. I'll read from you in the 11th chapter. I'll begin with verse 11. It's talking about, John the Baptist. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. It takes a forceful man or woman, a forceful boy or girl, to lay hold of the kingdom of God. You cannot enter into this narrow gate and pursue this highway of holiness on your way to the celestial city without forcefully taking a hold of this and saying, I am nothing. But Jesus is everything. I cannot gain the victory, but Jesus has won the victory. I cannot overcome the world, but Jesus overcame the world for me. And it means you must forcefully take hold of this and not relinquish it. 
for Mr. Grimm is going to come with his club. Remember, it was by sophistry, it was by lies, it was by false wisdom that he comes. And he's going to say to you, it's impossible for you to follow Jesus. This cannot happen in your life. You do not have the ability to live without sin. And so men and women will leave the National Prayer Chapel at that point and cut off all contact, refusing even to answer their telephone, not answering the door when you go to knock on it, because they have made the decision that they cannot be successful. Their heart is filled with shame, and they've given up. And I want to say to you today, my brother, my sister, stop it. Don't give up. The victory is always at the edge of what seems the hardest. The night is the darkest just before the dawn. Moses went up on the mountain to speak with God when God invited him to the top of the mountain. And the scriptures tell us in the book of Exodus that Moses sat on the top of that mountain for a week waiting for God to come and speak with him. Now, why would God call Moses to the top of the mountain and then let him sit there for one week? And by the way, he didn't have a sleeping bag and he didn't have a tent. And he probably didn't have any food with him. So here he is, sitting on the top of this mountain, perhaps without even water waiting on God, miserable. The children of Israel down below, after a month, are saying, we don't know what's happened to this Moses fella. He went up the mountain. Now, Aaron, you make for us a God who will go before us. And Aaron says, well, give me your jewelry. Moses took a hold of the kingdom of God forcefully. God, you want to let me sit for a week at the top of the mountain? I'll sit for a week. I'll sit for two weeks. I'll sit for a month. I'm never going away. I am going to sit before you, God. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to hold on to your promises. Aaron, on the other hand, says, oh, you're right. We don't know what's happened to Moses. I guess we better build a, an idol. We better have some God to center our life around. Aaron had no ability to forcefully reach out and take a hold of the gospel. It's astonishing that God did not take his life. And the scriptures tell us in Deuteronomy that the only reason God allowed Aaron to live was Moses' intercession for his older brother. God heard the intercession and said, okay, Moses, I will not take Aaron's life. And he forgave him, and then made him the high priest, a man utterly unworthy. Well, we need people to pray for us today as well, and and I pray that someone is praying for you. I've been praying for all of you who listen to this broadcast, but I pray that you have someone in your personal life is also praying and interceding for you. But I know 
It takes a forceful person to reach out and take a hold of this gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you take a hold of it, you've gotten a hold of a tiger by the tail. You're in for some threshing about. You're in for a journey. That's why I often say, you better have your seatbelt on and your crash helmet real tight because you're in for a ride. Now, I know that's not true of the cultural Christian church. But God doesn't seem to do much with them. He lets them make their own way and go their own direction. But a man or woman who will grab a hold of God, who will grab a hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and who will say, I'm going to hang on to this, now God's going to deal with you. He may wait a week. He may wait a month. But God's going to deal with you. So today, have you given up? Our phone number in studio is 877-534-0780. Any of you identify with what I'm talking about today? Have you gone on a pity party? feeling sorry for yourself, thinking that God is mistreating you, that you can never overcome your sin, that that you're always going to be a sinner before God? Have you gone out then and found your life? What's your spiritual condition now before God? Where are you on this journey? 877-534-0780. I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to hear from some of you who have forcefully taken hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no matter what happens, you're going to go all the way through. And then I'd like to hear from some of you who have given up. And you've said, I can't do it and you're in the midst of escaping, feeling sorry for yourself. 877-534-0780. Do you recognize how serious this journey is? And are you intentionally grabbing a hold of the kingdom of God, forcefully grabbing a hold of the kingdom of God? And are you making progress on this journey? I'll continue sharing the story of Pilgrim's Progress. Then Matthew, if you remember, Matthew was one of the small children, one of the sons of Christiana. He said, when you've all thought what you please, I think God has been wonderfully good to us, both in bringing us out of this valley and in delivering us out of the hand of this enemy. For my part, I see no reason why we should distrust our God anymore. 
He has now given us such a testimony of his love in such a place as this. I see no reason why we should distrust our God anymore. That's really the question, isn't it? Today, do you distrust the Lord God of heaven? Or has your confidence been reassured time after time by his wonderful deliverance, by his mercy and his love? Are you intentional today about this journey to the celestial city? Do you recognize we don't have much more time on this earth? The Antichrist is arising. The one-world beast government is now clearly visible. It is emerging. It's in the news day after day. You see America being turned into a socialist, fascist state. You see the government being utterly corrupted. Things happening in America that we could never have imagined possible. We are becoming one with the beast power of revelation. We see our currencies being corrupted. And soon this fiat currency, the Federal Reserve notes, will not be worth the paper they're written on. This has happened before in history. It happened in Germany. In the Weimar, they burned their cash in the, in the stoves. It was worthless. It was used to start the fire, the kindling wood. That's where we're headed. Very quickly, the American dollar is going down, down, down. Oh, it'll have a resurgence, but then it drops. It's going to take a very determined person who has their eyes fixed on Jesus, who is not swayed by popular opinion, who is not turned to the left or to the right by circumstances, but a man or woman with very clear eyes who has come to this scenic view, this overlook, and with clear eyes they see the path ahead and they will not be turned aside. My heart is just heavy today. I could name many of you by name. My heart is heavy today for those of you who have turned aside from the path of righteousness and you have given up and you have sought to find your own lives and yet, if you would be faithfully honest in testimony, you would have to say, as you left the path of the narrow, holy way, your spiritual life has been decaying and rotting. It will only be the quickening power of the Holy Spirit that can bring you back. The igniting of the oil of the Spirit in your heart that warms that cold, frozen place that has become your heart. I'm very concerned today. I know in the Spirit that listening to this broadcast are many people who have given up the journey. You may still go to church. You may still pretend. 
but you know in your heart that you're not faithful before Jesus. You're not faithful in tithes and offerings. You're not faithful in the attendance at the house of God. You're not faithful in testimony. You're not faithful in love and adoration for Jesus. You know that the world has crept in and that your focus is now on money and pleasure and family and every other kind of thing in the culture, your responsibilities, but you know in your heart that the love you used to have for Jesus is no longer present in your heart. And I'm concerned about you. And I'm crying out to God for you. And it's going to take a forceful action on your part to reach out and once more grab a hold of the kingdom of God and begin to make this journey once more, else you will be cast out at the end and you will be lost. So again, I'd like to hear from some of you who have given up and cast aside because of self-pity, cast aside because of your concern for worldliness, the belief that you could never walk without sin before God. You can. The power of the blood of Jesus is beyond anything we can imagine. Let's read. They got up from that scenic place and they went forward. A short distance ahead of them stood an oak. And when they came to it, they found under it an old pilgrim man fast asleep. They knew he was a pilgrim by his clothing, by his staff, and by his belt. So the guide, Mr. Greatheart, woke him up, and, and the old gentleman cried out as he lifted up his eyes, What's the matter? Who are you? What's your business here? Wake up, said Greatheart, wake up. Don't be upset. We're friends. Yet the old man got up and stood at his guard with his walking stick, and he wanted to know where they had come from and where they were going. The guide said, My name is Greatheart. I'm the guide of these pilgrims who are going to the celestial city. Then the old pilgrim said, Oh, I beg your pardon. I feared you were of that company of those who some time ago robbed little faith of his money. But now that I look around me, I better perceive that you are honest people. Why? What would you or what could you do if, if we had been of that company, asked Greatheart, that stole the money? Done, exclaimed the old pilgrim. Well, I'd have fought as long as I had breath in me. And if I'd have done so, I'm sure you would never, you would never have gotten the best of me. You would have gotten the worst of it. For a Christian can never be overcome unless he himself yields. Well said, Father, said the guide. By this I know you are made of the right stuff, for you have spoken the truth. 
Well, what is this truth that has been spoken? It is the truth that a Christian can never be overcome by sin unless he yields himself to it. Let's be clear. All sin is voluntary. Now, we can be tricked into it, but we volunteer ourselves to be tricked. We can be seduced, but we volunteer ourselves to be seduced. I have to recognize before God and before you that I alone am responsible for every sin I have ever committed. You see, if I'm not responsible, then it wasn't really sin. I am responsible for my sin. God is not responsible. My brother, my sister, my wife, my husband, my children, they're not responsible. I hear people say this foolish thing. They say, he made me angry. No. No one has the power to make you angry. If you get angry, it's because you chose to get angry. That was your response to what they did. You could have just as well laughed. You could have just as well expressed sympathy and love for them. Just because they spoke an insulting word to you does not mean that you need to be angry with them. I learned this from a very wise friend. I was extremely angry with a man who had desperately wronged me. He had said extremely insulting things to me, and I was angry. And I was ranting about my anger to this wonderful brother, a Christian. And he said to me, Pastor, instead of being angry with them, why don't you in your mind just dress that big man up in a little tutu? You know, this, these frocks that little girls wear. And I immediately began to laugh at the picture of seeing this angry man who had said these hard things to me dressed in a little pink tutu. Suddenly, it was like all of his teeth had been removed. And I heard him now saying these same words to me, but this time they had no power because he was dressed in a little girl's pink tutu. He was a man who was utterly foolish. And I recognized that in reality, this man was dressed in a little pink tutu. His angry words were all bluster. His words, though very insulting, were from a childish heart. They had no standing with me. Now, I'm not recommending that you insult someone back for an insult. What I am saying is, recognize that another person's anger belongs to them. You don't have to make it belong to you. Another person's 
feelings belong to them. And you don't have to own their feelings. And just because they speak to you in a manner that seems disruptive or condescending or insulting does not mean that you must be insulted. Instead, you can smile and you can laugh and you can turn aside with a gentle answer, even as you would to a little child who was jumping up and down and screaming and saying, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Some people would scream back at that little child. Some people would pick the little child up in their arms and hold them close and say, I'm sorry you feel so bad, sweetheart. It's our choice. We get to decide how we'll respond. And this brother in the story, this old man, says a Christian does not ever have to be overcome. Let me read his exact words again. For a Christian can never be overcome unless he yields himself. So you have to give yourself to be overcome by the pornography. You have to give yourself to be overcome by the lying. You have to give yourself to being overcome by cheating. You cannot be made to cheat or to lie or to steal or to kill or to insult. All of those are choices that you make in your heart. We give people such incredible power over our lives. We want them to think well of us. We want to please them. All of that must be utterly removed from the heart of a Christian, and your only desire must be to please Jesus Christ and give up all ideas about pleasing anyone else except Jesus. Believe me, if you please Jesus, you will please many people, but you will likewise displease many people, and your life will be a knife. It will cut through all of the sham of false religion. Your life will cut through all of the make-believe righteousness. Your life will cut through all of the people who say they are victims and they have no power and they couldn't help themselves. They had to get angry or they had to do this or they had to do that. And you're responsible because you made them. Your life will be a knife that will cut right through that foolishness. And you'll say, no, I have no power to make you do anything but I call you to Jesus. And then with an expression of love and mercy and compassion, reach out to those around you so that they can begin to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now this very much ties in with what we opened with today. 
And I'm still hearing in my spirit that there are some of you today who are simply giving up. You're listening to this broadcast, but basically in your heart, you've said, I give up. I can't live a righteous life. I can't gain the victory over the alcohol. I can't gain the victory over the prostitution. I can't gain the victory over my depression. I can't, and it's all, I can't, I can't, I can't. All of that is a lie. It is all being a victim. It's all trying to get somebody to feel sorry for you. And I'm saying to you today, would you please man up? Would you please take responsibility for all of your sin before God and recognize that you can repent of that sin, you can lift your hands to Jesus, and he will come into your heart and he will do a work of circumcision He will give you a new heart and a clean spirit, and you can begin to shout and praise his name, and you can be utterly at peace in your spirit because you have the victory in Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It matters whether or not you're willing to take a hold of the kingdom of God forcibly. I don't know how to move on from this point. I think I need to just stop and pray for some of you. It's not as though I have a body of content I have to get through. I'm not here to teach you. I'm here to call you out of feeling like a victim and and to call you out of your feelings, to call you to repent for your sin, to call you to be honest with God about who you are to be honest with your wife or your husband or your children about who you really are. Almighty God, I don't know how to go further with this, Lord. I know that only you, by the power of your Spirit, can bring this truth into the heart of a man or woman. And I'm just seeing in my spirit now, Lord, both men and women, they're listening but they've given up. And they don't intend to ever darken the door of a church again. At least not a holy church, not a righteous church. Lord, I come today asking for your mercy and for your conviction to be restored for my brother and my sister in their heart. I come asking, Lord, that you would rescue them from this set of bondage, this set of irons that they have found themselves in, where there seems to be no hope that they cannot gain the victory. Lord, I pray that they will not continue to walk in self-pity, but they will rise up with a firm hand and grab a hold of the kingdom of God, that they will fight for what is right. And they won't just play dead and roll over. Lord, I pray. I pray your mercy for my brother and my sister. Lord, I pray your mercy for those men and women who have been unwilling. They have had weak hearts. They've been like Aaron. Whatever anyone suggests to them, oh, yes, let's do that. Let's go there. Let's. Let's play around. Let's 
Lord, would you come and would you rescue the errands who are listening to this broadcast today? Those who have so quickly turned and sinned against you and been caught in the wickedness of their flesh or in the bitterness of their heart. Lord, I plead with you, would you come with power and rescue men and women right now? Lord, I could name many of them by name, but I don't want to embarrass them. I ask, Lord, if you would come with power, that you would reach out in your mercy, that you would touch their hearts right now, that you would ignite in their heart a flame once more of passion and love for you, that they would give up their self-pity, that they would give up their lie, that they can't win the victory in you, Jesus, for you've already won the victory on Calvary. You've already called them out of darkness and into light. But, Lord, they've run back to their darkness. They've run back to their cave. Lord, would you pull them out? Would you flood them out? Would you call them, O Lord, to come and walk with you once more, not giving way to the power of darkness, but turning to the light and rejoicing in your love and your mercy and your kindness. Lord, rejoicing in your redemption. Would you do this now, almighty God? I pray in your holy name. Amen. There's a medley of music. I'm wondering, Eric, if you would play that medley of nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me pure again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, and There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power. 
greater, much whiter than snow. There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Skin stains are lost in which life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Christian can never be overcome unless he himself yields. Well said, Father, said the guide. By this I know you are made of the right stuff, for you have said the truth. And by this I know that you also know that a true pilgrim is, said the man, for all others think that we are the quickest of any to be overcome. Well said, great heart. Now that our meeting has been happy, please let me have your name and the name of the place you came from. Oh, I can't say my name, said the old gentleman, but I came from the town of stupidity. It lays about four degrees beyond the city of destruction. Oh, are you a citizen of that country then? I believe I have half a guess of who you are. Your name is Old Honesty, isn't it? The old gentleman blushed and said, Not honesty in the abstract, but honest is my name. And I hope that my nature will agree to what I'm called. But, sir, he asked, How could you guess that I am that man since I came from that kind of a place? Oh, I've heard of you before from my master, said Greatheart, for he knows all things that are done on the earth but I've often wondered that anyone could come from your place, for your town is worse than what the city of destruction is itself. Yes, said Mr. Honest, we're further away from the sun, so are more cold and senseless. But even if a man lived in a mountain of ice, if the sun of righteousness arose upon him, his frozen heart would feel a thaw. And this is how it has been with me. This is what I'm crying out for you. I'm crying out to God that the mountain of ice will be thawed by the sun of righteousness as it arises now, right now, upon you. I'm just sensing in the Spirit that the Son of God is rising upon some of you right now as you listen. And in your heart you feel the beginning of a thaw. And I pray you will be like Mr. Honest, that you won't turn once more to self-pity. I believe it further, Honest, 
said Greatheart. I believe it, for I know the thing is true. Then the old gentleman greeted all the pilgrims with a holy kiss of love, and he asked them about their names and how they had fared since they had set out on their pilgrimage. Then Christiana said, I suppose you might have heard of my name. Good Christian was my husband, and these four are his children. Oh, and you cannot imagine how the old gentleman was taken back when she told him who she was. He danced, he smiled, and he blessed them with a thousand good wishes, saying, Be it spoken to your comfort that the name of your husband rings all over the parts of the world. His faith, his courage, his endurance, his sincerity, and everything made his name famous. Then he turned himself to the boys and asked them their names, which they told him. And then he said to them, Matthew, you be like Matthew the tax collector, not in vice but in virtue. And Samuel, you be like Samuel the prophet, a man of faith and a man of prayer. And Joseph, you be like Joseph in Potiphar's house, chaste, the one who flees from temptation. And James, you be like James the just, like James the brother of our Lord. Then they told him about mercy and how she had left her town and her relatives to come along with Christiana and her sons. At that the old honest man said, Mercy is your name, and by mercy you'll be sustained and carried through all these difficulties that shall assault you in your way until you arrive there, where you're going to look the fountain of mercy in the face and he will comfort your heart. My name is Ray Greenley. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. You're welcome to join together with the National Prayer Chapel on Tuesday evening. It's like a John Wesley class meeting. You're welcome to come and fellowship with us. It's a time of accountability, of honesty, of praying for one another. We meet at All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. It's on Gideon Drive, right beside the Hilton Memorial Chapel. It's that beautiful, brand-new facility, All Saints Anglican Church. Come around to the back, and we're in the lower lobby. It's a ground-level entrance. Lots of parking there. Come in and, and find us. And you'll be blessed as you hear testimonies. You won't be embarrassed. You'll hear testimonies of faith and victory. You'll hear some who have not had victory. You'll hear the prayers of God's people as we cry out for victory. Every Tuesday evening, we meet for prayer at 6.30. Praise and worship begins at 7.30. I invite you to come and fellowship with the National Prayer Chapel. We also meet on Sundays. You can join together with us for our worship time. It's at 12 o'clock for prayer. 12.30, we have praise and worship. 
and a more formal worship service. I invite you to come either on a Tuesday or on a Sunday if your heart is eager to not play games, but to be serious with Jesus, to get right with him, to be encouraged on the journey, to be taught the word of God in such a manner that your heart will be convicted of sin and you'll find the way of escape through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now let me pray for you. Almighty God, as we conclude this broadcast today, my heart cries out for those who have given up. I pray encouragement for them. I pray strength for them. And I pray honesty for them that they will reach out and forcefully now take hold of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.